Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of A Good Story Starts With. I have one of my good friends here, Denis. Hello. Hey, how you doing? I am well. Um, thank you so much for agreeing to be part of the uh, podcast guest. It's really awesome to see your face. It's been a minute. <laughs> it really has. And thank, yeah. you, thank you for having me. That's I think the awesome. last time we saw each other was just a random walk by the at a cafe in Officer. Yeah, totally. Uh, I think it's, yeah, that was months ago. That was, that was a long time ago. You had just finished a run and Renee was there as well. So yeah. yeah. But how have you been? Because last time I saw you, you were still a coach at UFT Playgrounds, which is now UFT Barrack, but now you've completely like gone into a new field. So how has that been? Yeah, it's been a, it's been a, a, an interesting roller coaster. Uh, mm-hmm. No, I think the last two years has been an interesting roller coaster, just in general. Mm-hmm. So I just picked an interesting time to to completely shift my um my work and my focus and trajectory. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so it's been very interesting. And from a work perspective, it's been good. Like mm-hmm. I've I've. Part of the reason why I, I went to pick up a, a different job, something in a new industry, was I wanted to learn things mm. that I couldn't learn on my own. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have. And, and so especially now working in marketing, mm-hmm. um, I've learned so much from these guys that like, I, I was doing our marketing for UFT for 10 years. And then I sit down and do my training with the pros and I'm like, this is not how I was doing it. Yeah. You guys, you guys are better. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what made you change from the like fitness industry to marketing? Um <clears throat> so marketing wasn't the isn't the goal. That's okay. not where I was I, I wasn't it wasn't a decision to switch to marketing. Mm-hmm. Marketing is just where I have found myself now. Ooh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um so, so yeah, so I, I've, I've been in the fitness industry since I was 19. Um, I turned 33 in a couple of weeks. So it's been a long time. Yeah. yeah well um, so it's been a long time. So the gym has been open now for 10 years. I was a PT before that for a few years. Mm-hmm. Um, and several years ago, um, we were all, uh, it's, 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 Timelines are weird now, aren't they? Because yeah, uh, I say several years ago, and that was just before COVID. Yeah, no, COVID feels like twenty years though, so you're yeah, good. Yeah, that's it. So it was probably like four or five years ago now. Um, but me and my wife Renee, we decided that we wanted to move to Paris. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. So we we spent a little bit of time over there on one of our holidays. We loved it. We're like. Let's move here, even if it's just for a couple of years, just to try live somewhere new, learn new, new languages, and not just get stuck in uh, officer and barrack for the rest of our lives. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was that was where we were progressing towards. It's where we wanted to head, and so it was building up the gym to be able to hand it over to Joel and Tanya, or to be able to sell it, whatever whatever um, was going to be the best way forward. Um, and then COVID happened and it, I, I, I tried to fight it, tried to push through 
And I think it, everything just came to a head and I was like, I, I don't want to do this anymore. Mm. Um, and I did, I had no idea what I wanted to do. So there was mm. no, I'm over this, but because I want to do this, it was mm-hmm. just, I just want something different. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think for most people that know me relatively well is 10 years for me is a very long time to stay on something. Mm-hmm. Um, I tend to get, tend to get either distracted or uh, I find a new thing to, to venture down and I like to build things and, and do something and then move on to the next project. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so 10 years is a very long time for me to stay with it, but I absolutely loved it. Like I wouldn't change a, a second. Yeah. Um, so then, yeah, so then I spent a good six, seven months applying for jobs and 162 job applications later and I got a job. Yeah. So it turns out one, it's not easy to get a job. <laughs> it's, uh, it's definitely not easy to get a job when the world is in a pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, I wasn't in a mad rush. We weren't freaking out of, over money and, um, and, and I was a little bit picky and choosy at the beginning. Mm-hmm. And then I said, yeah, it's been a while. <laughs> probably lower my standards a little bit. Yeah. But that was an interesting journey on its own, just trying yeah. to find a job. Yeah. Could, would you mind talking a little bit about that? Because when, so when I moved to Melbourne, I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure I had like 20. I sent out 20 job applications and I only managed to get like four or five back. And that was demoralizing, but 162 is like, (laughs) is a lot. Is a lot. Like how did you move through that process of not, not letting that demoralize you, but still keep going forward? Uh, So I think the motivation was I needed to get a job. Mm. (laughs) That, that was what enabled me to, to continue going. Mm. Um, but it definitely, I think what I found to be the most demoralizing was that I've always been exceptionally confident about, mm-hmm. about being able to do whatever I decide to do. Mm-hmm. And when you run your own business and I've never, I worked for my parents as a teenager. They, they own Telstra shops. So I worked for them. I had a couple of jobs like, um, I was a bartender um, in the city for for a while. I was a waiter for a little while, but they were side jobs. Mm. They were my full-time jobs. So outside of them, I worked for my parents. I ran a Telstra shop for my aunties and uncles for a year, and I've worked for myself. Mm. So I've never worked. I've never had a real job Mm. where I had to answer to someone. Someone, Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's it. If I, if I did, like I worked for my, my, the Telstra days, that was definitely a real job, but that was family. Mm. It was a family job. So I could have a conversation with the boss. I could be a part of the decision making. I could, um, it, it was, it's a different experience to, mm. uh, working for a, a big organization. And so then that was part of what I wanted was I was like, I've built my own business. I've, I've run run this over over this many years, but there is a lot that I never learnt because I never had someone teach me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was looking for jobs where I was like, okay, what's my skill set? I've managed up to three gyms with twenty staff over ten years. 
Um, so management, sales, um, marketing, and operations are where most of my skill sets lie. And so I started applying for those sorts of jobs, and I knew I wanted to. I didn't want to go run someone else's gym. There's mm-hmm. no me leaving my gym to go run someone else's. So that wasn't an option. And I have an affinity for tech, and so I decided that's that's where I want to start heading. I want to get into the tech world mm-hmm. in some way. So I figured um, some sort of operations management, sales management roles would be where I would. Um, drive towards mm-hmm. and I have a fairly impressive resume but apparently it's not desire I don't have desirable traits for those roles yeah interesting so, so and all of it really comes down to I have no uh no industry experience mm-hmm. so as soon as I started applying for jobs outside of the fitness industry I wasn't even getting so out of those 162 um applications i maybe got 10 interviews Mm. so and and so i would what i was finding is i was sending through my resume applying for these jobs not getting anything back or just getting a rejection email back and so i would follow up and i'd contact the that company to try and get it just get a hold and have a conversation because i figured if i could have a conversation with someone it's a it's a better in than just a an uh, a glance at a resume or a um, an automated system that just mm. looks for keywords and, and eliminates. Um, and then, yeah, all of them basically came back and said the same thing. Yeah, you got an impressive resume, but you you got no industry experience. We need someone with at least two to, two to three years experience minimum mm. or a bachelor's degree. And, mm. um, and so I was like, okay. So I figured after a fair few of those rejections, I figured maybe I should, maybe this is the problem and I'll just build myself some industry experience. Mm-hmm. So I was just going for lower level jobs. So I was just going for sales jobs, um, just general sales, BDM sort of jobs at, at the lower level that they could hire someone that has sales experience and, and I'd work my way up reasonably quickly. That was my thought process. Mm-hmm. Started applying for those jobs, started getting um, interviews. Mm-hmm. It was great. And every interview that I got one of, I always got to the final interview. Mm-hmm. And I got asked the exact same question on every single one of them. And mm-hmm. that was, you're overqualified for this. What is to stop you from leaving in three months' time if something better that pops up? Mm-hmm. And I... What are you supposed to say to that? Because I would. (laughs) 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 I didn't want to lie. Yeah. At the same time, I needed a job. So I had to try and convince them as best I could to keep me, Mm -hmm. uh, to, to trust that I'll be a great asset to them. And if they look after me, then I'll be the best salesperson they've ever had. Mm-hmm. Um, but that wasn't enough. They needed someone that they could tie down and, and hold on to for longevity. Wow. Um, so I couldn't, didn't get any of those jobs. Wow. So then in the end, I had to, um, the, the actual first job that I got was I got a call back. So then I, that's right. I altered all of my resumes. Well, mm-hmm. I ended up with three resumes. Yeah. 
I had my proper one, mm-hmm. I had a slightly watered down one, and then mm-hmm. I had a really watered down one. <laughs> so I went from being the founder and managing director of, of a gym to the sales manager to a salesperson. Okay. So UFT, which I had built from, from the ground up. The ground up Worked with it, uh, yeah, did it over 10 years, had three gyms, all of that disappeared. And mm. I just run the sales for a gym. Mm. And that got cool. me more interviews. Wow. Um, but then, yeah, so then I ended up getting a call from one of the recruiters who had seen my application for a previous job that I didn't get, and she said, look, I do have a job. You are overqualified for it, but I think you'll be good at it. Mm-hmm. Um, can I send it through? And my my conversation with her was, which resume did you get? Because <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how to respond to this. <laughs> that became the hard part. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Which which resume had she received? Well, so she'd received the lowest one. Oh. And I was still overqualified. I think it was just because of my time. Because it's hard to say that you're just a salesperson for 10 years. Yeah. And you haven't had any progression. Mm. Um, so she, um, so I told her my, my problem and she was like, okay, this is, this is terrible. I hate when this happens. So she actually re helped me rejig my resume to suit this job. Mm. And she went into bat for me. Aww. So she was like, don't worry, we'll get you the job. You'll be sweet. I still got asked the exact same question at the very end. They wanted yeah. me to put it in writing. Why would I, why, what would prevent me from leaving in three months' time if something better didn't pop up? Oh, wow. And so I put all that in. Like it, when I say in writing, it wasn't contract. It was just they wanted to see some sort of commitment. Mm-hmm. And so I worked for Otis Elevators, which is $13 billion a year company. 60,000 employees globally, mm. and it was a terrible job. <laughs> Are you even allowed to say that? <laughs> I don't know, we'll see. Oh, bless, yeah. The you worked for more than three months. Yeah, well, the people the people were fine. Like, I, I liked the people, but the actual role that I was put in, it was advertised as a sales role. Mm. My actual job was to receive emails from our technicians who are servicing elevators mm-hmm. send me an email saying uh or essentially send send a, a report through saying there's some ohs upgrades that are required on this elevator they'd send a list of what was required i'd have to put that in an email and send it to send a proposal to the customer that was my job wow it's a little bit boring very boring and just from home just that was it and mm. after three months i was like i can't do this anymore so i started looking again mm-hmm. and now i found myself in um in with with digital elder working as a bdm for a digital marketing agency mm-hmm. which has been a lot more fun mm-hmm. yeah. what does bdm stand for business development manager that's cool it's a bit of a hoo-hoo name <laughs> It's one of those titles that that companies put together that make it sound better than what it actually is. Yeah, bless. I don't manage anything. I'm not in charge of a team. 
It's literally that I, I manage new sales. I'm a salesperson. Okay. All right. Okay. So, and what has been, I actually, I have a couple of questions. I'll start with this one. What has been like the difference between this job with the elevator one that's made you like, oh, this is actually really interesting. I actually do. I'm actually more engaged and more committed to this one. I get to interact with people. Mm. That's the biggest one. And well, I think more than anything, there's an element of a challenge. Yeah. Um, the last one, the, the challenge was in, uh, for about a month, understanding how elevators work. Mm. That, that was quite intriguing. That, mm. Like I was excited about that. I like to know how things work. Mm-hmm. And that was, um, learning all of the history and mechanics of an elevator. It's fascinating. Uh, once you learn all that, it was done. <laughs> <laughs> so then I was like, okay, what's next? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but with this one, yeah, there's so much to learn from a digital marketing perspective. There are so many variabilities, so many mm-hmm. options, so many, um, there's an element of creativity. Mm-hmm. Um, if a customer comes to me and says, this is what I want to do, then I've got to research. I've got to figure out who are their audience? Where are they? Um, where are their eyes? Mm-hmm. What? What's going to capture them? What's going to get them intrigued? What are their competitors doing? So there's, there's more to it than just, um, yeah, than just getting information and sending an email. Yeah. Wow. That's, a, that's so cool. That is, that's more you than learning about elevators and sending information away. Definitely. Um, and the second question, what struck me about your story was when you got the, rejection letters you didn't just stop there you actually went and called them up and you're like hey why why are you not employing me why didn't you hire me yeah well why didn't you hire me i how did you build that confidence because i i i I never would have done that like i would have been like oh they don't want me that's fine moved on i i don't know if i built the confidence Mm -hmm. i think it's more of a process Mm-hmm. I, I come from a sales background, so I understand a good sales process. And when you're applying for a job, it's just a sales process. Mm-hmm. It, it seems a little bit more personal, but in the end, you are selling your services and your skill set mm-hmm. to, to provide a solution to a problem that they have, which is they need someone with that skill set to solve, to, to do that work. Mm. In the end, you're just making it's just selling. So when you when you're trying to cold sell to people, you send them emails, you get in contact with them, mm-hmm. follow them up with phone calls, you research their company, and you cater, you twist everything to twist is a bad word, but you modify everything to to be more relevant mm-hmm. to them. So it's so yeah, you're not just blanketing everything and spammy. Mm-hmm. So it was more just about taking. A, an actual sales approach than it was about, um, yeah, than it was about mm-hmm. just ho- hoping that someone was going to call me back. Wow. In saying that, that uh, after a while, it definitely wavered. It was definitely, mm-hmm. emotionally, it was definitely like mm-hmm. I'd get one back and be like, yeah, sweet, and then I'd l- I wouldn't get that job and then it would crash. Mm-hmm. And it would be hard to make those phone calls again. But that's mm-hmm. That's, pretty, that's normal. That's normal. Yeah. yeah, that's so cool. 
that's like I do admire that about you and that's pretty cool how have you kept in contact with your fitness industry friends and how what do they think about your new move uh so we were for a bit it like it's obviously because we've been in lockdown yeah it's been more difficult mm. I'm not much never have been much of a uh a phone call person mm-hmm so lockdowns have been uh, i'm a face-to-face sort of person mm-hmm. zoom uh this has made uh it forced me to be more of a zoom person mm-hmm. um but i've never really been the kind of person that just calls a friend and just has a chat to them mm-hmm. so it's just been that, that, it's just not yeah not natural for me mm-hmm. um, i'll catch up with someone or we'll go hang out or something like that so lockdowns have definitely made that uh difficult mm-hmm. to, to contact people mm-hmm. um so there's definitely been messages and that going around but i was when the gym was open mm-hmm. every saturday morning we're still training mm-hmm. at the gym um with the fight team that's so cool do you miss um because i know you as like both a muay thai fighter um as well as like crossfit as well as like a crossfitter as well what discipline do you miss the most between those two it's not a discipline that i miss mm-hmm. actually this has been as an adult the first time in my life where i haven't had to train for someone else mm-hmm. which is which is funny right because i've i've been fit my whole life mm-hmm. i've always played sport mm-hmm. um but as soon as you open a gym there's an expectation that you have to be at a certain level mm-hmm. yeah i think that there's there's nothing wrong with that expectation but um one that kept me in the mix but i also always had to deviate between styles to to boost them mm-hmm. because people were training they wanted me to train with them so it was always jumping around uh, and it was difficult to train because when you train in your own gym you get distracted So you're in the middle of a class or you're you're in the middle of training and a phone call comes and you've got to take that call or someone hurts themselves you've got to go check them up and so there's cuz we're not uh, like a big commercial 24-hour gym we're mm-hmm. smaller and more boutique than that um but that yeah that definitely all plays a part in um how effectively you can train mm-hmm. in that way So then when I when I stepped away outside of not being able to get into uh get into a gym because they were closed mm-hmm. um, I went back to Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Did you? Yeah, mm-hmm. so I was yeah, I, I got my blue belt. So I'd been training in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu about five, six years ago. I trained for two to three years pretty hardcore but never graded. Mm-hmm. Um I just missed the gradings. They they didn't fall when I was around. Um And so yeah, so I was training for about 2-3 months. My coach gave me my blue belt, which was awesome, and got right into training. Was training probably 6-7 hours a week, and then the lockdowns just keep stopping us. Mhm. And throwing things up. So more than ever at the moment, I'm probably the most unfit and sorest and less flexible. Oh. Flexible yeah. than I have ever been. Yeah. How How have you well first of all how is your mental health in terms of um 
working through not being able to train as much and how have you bolstered that mental health or what other ways have you learned to take care of your mental health through this lockdown process so i think my mental health definitely took a toll Mm -hmm. um over so i reckon my mental health took more of a toll last year than it has this year Mm -hmm. um but i think there was elements of separation anxiety from the gym Mm -hmm. Like that, I think that played a part. It was that was a big part of who I was and what I did. And then all ties were cut, um, and and it was sort of an, and all ties were cut forcibly. One because I decided to leave, but then also the lockdown Lock- started, mm-hmm. so nothing. It, it, you couldn't even float in and out or anything like that. Um. So yeah, <clears throat> so that definitely had an effect. Then um, I think what had the biggest effect was I've never I've never had um, nothing that I was working towards. Mm. So for it, it challenged me in a way that said that made me go, okay, well, I don't know what to do now. Mm. Um, so I actually I actually am at uni now as well. Mm. Um, yeah, I decided out of after ten years in fitness, I decided to go and study electrical engineering. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. it's just like, like it's a big change. Yeah, that is a super change. Like, oh my gosh! Please. So, just continue your story, and we'll come back to electrical engineering. <laughs> um, so, I think more than anything over the last twelve to eighteen months, my uh, I've been. Uh, for lack of a better word, hummingbirding. Mm-hmm. So just dabbling in, in anything that strikes an interest in me and just seeing what happens. Um, because, yeah, I, outside now, outside of uni, and I have another project that I'm working on uh, called My Book Club. Mm-hmm. Um, outside of those two things, there's not really anything that from a career or, a, or, or any sort of progression that I really am chasing. Mm-hmm. Whereas when I first opened UFT, it was I wanted UFT to be like an F forty five. That was mm-hmm. the dream. The dream mm-hmm. was to have a UFT in every suburb in the country. Mm-hmm. That didn't happen, but mm-hmm. it did still did some pretty awesome things. You did. Um, but I was always driven, always driving to achieve things. So mm-hmm. you know, when the lockdowns happened, they definitely had an effect on. My motivation to get up in the morning. Mm. I literally last last year during the first couple of lockdowns, I was I had no work, I had mm. no reason to get up, I had no urgency to do anything. I would mm. get out of bed at eleven thirty in the morning. That is late for you. That is late for me. Yeah, uh, and uh, yeah, I'd get out of bed at eleven thirty. I'd be having breakfast at twelve, twelve thirty, mm. and be like, "What do I do today?" Mm. Um, so. And that definitely has an effect on you. Like it might sound good to to sleep in and and do that, but it wasn't for positive reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, but now I'm back. I get up at quarter to five every morning. I go for a run. I meditate. Um, I I've found that having a my morning routine mm-hmm. the days that I have my morning routine and I execute it. 
are the days that I'm the most productive mm-hmm. um, versus not. Yeah. And then, of course, like some days I'll have between uni and work, um, I'll have too much on so I won't get to bed until 12.30. So I'm not going to get up at 5 o'clock in the morning if I've gone to bed at 12.30 because then, again, I also understand the value of sleep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, that's that's really cool that you've been able to, like, walk through that journey and realize like, Hey, having a routine, because that's kind of what COVID did in terms of disrupting all known routines that we had, like having a routine is actually beautiful and helpful in structuring a day to make it better. Like it's at least you've done something today rather than nothing. That's cool. People are, we need, uncertainty and we need certainty we need Mm -hmm. both of them um some people more than others i'm i'm more of an uncertainty person than a certainty person like if it was a if it was a uh i needed to weigh up uh, put put them on the scales then i know Mm -hmm. i'm probably more 60 70 percent uncertainty in my life Mm -hmm. um whereas i would say my wife she's more 70 80 percent certainty Mm-hmm. Um, so people are going to vary, but when COVID happened, and especially in Melbourne with lockdowns coming and going and coming and going and getting yeah. extended, and ev- no one gets the amount of certainty that they want anymore. No, because it's like we we don't know how long it's going to last. We don't know when it will end. And afterwards, there's like the plan of like, oh yeah, we're back to normal. It's like. What does that even look like? Yeah. What does normal even mean? Um, so yeah, yeah that's... when they say normal, there's a there's a new addition to what normal means. Mm, exactly, that's it's bizarre. Mm. Um, so electrical engineering, how yeah. did how did you choose? Like, wow, I like tell me this process. Yeah, I've been asked that a lot. <laughs> <laughs> there's not there, there wasn't much of a process. Yeah. It was, um, I like technology. Mm-hmm. I wanted to learn how to build things. Mm-hmm. And I figured, and I wanted to learn, I think probably the major um, decision maker was that I wanted to better understand the world. Yeah. And that was it. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be able to say, okay, well, technology is what is driving the world. Mm-hmm. It's how 90% of how we interact with the world these days, and I don't know how it works. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a lot of misinformation comes from, and a lot of conspiracies and, and people coming to crazy conclusions. Um, conclusions just comes from their lack of knowledge about how the world works. Mm-hmm. So I figured I, I, I don't think, I don't know, it would be cool if I was an electrical engineer as a job. Mm-hmm. But it's not a dream job of mine. It's not something that I've ever really wanted to do. I still am not a hundred percent sure what they do. Mm-hmm. I'm nearly a year into my, I'm nearly a year into my degree. <laughs> that is classic. But I know, I know, I know what what our goals are, like how we work. But I don't know what an electrical engineer does on a day to day basis. Yeah. Like so, is it both like a combination of theory and practical basis, and like you do the the core? It's supposed to be. Oh, okay. 
but we're in lockdown. So okay. our crack, our labs. So mm-hmm. I was, in, I did a two hour lab yesterday where we did an experiment, mm-hmm. um, testing, testing how magnets affect electrical circuits and, and, and how AC power is created. All very, very cool stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was just videos of my teacher who had already done the experiments and we just had to watch the videos and then comment and make our observations on the videos. Because we can't go into the lab. That's bizarre that you don't have an exemption to go into the lab to do that. I would much prefer it. Yeah, because yeah. there's just there's just so much wonder in the process of being like literally zapped by the electricity as like, as you do the experiment. And wow, that sucks. Like I'm really sorry. Yeah. That actually it, sucks. It would definitely be a lot better if we could do at least the labs in in person yeah um but this is this is where we're at this is where we're at um you mentioned before that you're kind of person who prefers uncertainty while your wife prefers certainty has there been like how have you guys dealt with that personality bent of each of you and how have you honored the relationship well within that um i don't know i've Mm. never actually thought uh, like directly about that, mm. um, we work as a very good, a very good unit. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't fight. Like, and when I say we don't fight, there are no screaming matches. We have disagreements, mm-hmm. we annoy each other, we get on each other's nerves. That all definitely happens. Mm. But for ninety nine percent of the time, we are totally fine with how how the other one operates and works. Mm. Mm. Um, so I think it's. It's definitely a, a matter of understanding. Mm. So knowing she know, and we know each other. We've lived together for a long time now. Mm-hmm. So she knows when I leave, when I start leaving random things around the house, that my brain's a bit scattered. Mm-hmm. And so I need some more certainty. Mm-hmm. And so she'll she'll help out with that. And mm-hmm. I know that if there's too many crazy things going on at a particular time if we've had some some bad news or if we've had anything like that then adding more uncertainty to it isn't going to make anything better um so yeah it's really just it's more of an in it's more of an intuition Mm. these days than Mm. it is um yeah a a conscious process yeah yeah, that's really beautiful. Like, cause what I'm hearing is that you guys have known each other so well that, and you've built your lives together so well that you're able to, um, there's this quote that I was reading of like, when you are first in love with someone, that love is really conscious and it's really loud and it's amazing. And that's wonderful. It's so fireworks, but as it deepens, it becomes more silent and the structure becomes deeper and you find yourselves being like, even in the silence, you feel that love. And it sounds like you guys have done the hard work of building that relationship that even in the silent moments, you're like, yeah, we're good. Yeah, we're good. hundred yeah. percent. Yeah. 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 That's, that's really beautiful. Yeah. Um, in saying that, like there is still communication. There is, still, yeah. there is still work. Uh, I don't know if works the right word, but there, there's still conversations and, 
conscious efforts made mm-hmm. to make sure that it, we're not just uh, operating on our intuition. Yeah. But, yeah. Because because we're changing and we're growing. So as mm-hmm. much as yes, we know it, we knew each other yesterday, we're different today. Mm-hmm. That's such a beautiful outlook to have of looking at your partner and being aware of yourself as well that you're changing and constantly checking in with one another and being like, hey, how are you? Um, have you always thought that way, or have you learnt to think that way? What do you mean? Like, I mean, like. So that statement that you made that, hey, we're constantly changing all the time and we need to check in with our partner and learn each other every day, that practice of learning your partner every day, is that something that you've always had with you in the relationship or did you build that between the two of you? I think both. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's definitely it was never, uh, we never sat down and had a conversation to say, okay, this is how we want our relationship to work and here are some guidelines and this is one of them. And this uh, is the contract that you sign here. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Um, it. It's probably been that's, yeah, it was, it was I couldn't give you a, a time or a, a discussion or anything, but there were probably moments where um, we had deep discussions and. Mm-hmm that just this is just a result Mm. it wasn't a focus it was it's just a result of all of those discussions and all of those experiments i guess Mm. the time yeah um, that just make you realize that yeah that's so cool uh you mentioned before that another project that you're doing is called my book club and that and i was like honored enough to be invited to one of your public sessions that you guys had on Wednesday. How Would you mind? Uh, we haven't spoken about that. Have no, we haven't. Um, I found, so let me back up. The public viewing was um, about a Australian director who directed a movie called Incarceration Nation, which I, I haven't watched it yet because I've been studying, but I was able to watch the trailer and I was like, man, like this is something that needs to, needs to be talked about. And it's about... Um, the incarceration rates of, um, is, I want to say native Australians, but I don't know if that's, pardon? Indigenous. Indigenous Australians. Um, and how like the justice system and even to some extent the health system as well works to how that system is discriminating and hurting Indigenous Australians. So I, obviously come from like a more health background and within our first year of uni we had like this course that talked about the uh, comorbidities that Indigenous Australians have and the life expectancy that Indigenous Australians have which is awful like they have a very young population where most of the population is under the age of 30 and um, and it was really shocking to see that uh, certain diseases like hypertension, which are risk factors for other diseases like um, strokes, obesity and stuff are prevalent in this vulnerable and young population. So I've always had like an interest in that regard, in the health aspect, but to see the justice system in this public viewing, I was like, man, like this is, this is a lot. Um, yeah. 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 yeah so. 
And I think I, I, I touched on that a little bit in one of the questions was oh, one of the just part of the conversation mm. was it this sort of information was just never on my radar as, mm-hmm. as a as a person, not even as a kid. Mm. Up, like you, you learn a little bit about Indigenous Australians. You know um, that colonization happened and it was a bad it was a bad process. Mm. Outside of that, I couldn't really. I don't have. There's no one around me. There's no one in my world that um, is Indigenous with, mm-hmm. or or is it openly talking about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so that interview with Dean and that that um, chat was and watching Incarceration Nation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a bit of a, um, a mind blown sort of moment. Yeah. How how did you get in contact with Dean and how did you start my book club? Um, well, so I go, my book club was an idea from um, one of my one of my best friends, Justin. Mm-hmm. We lived together for eight years. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's always been into business. He's got his own businesses. I've always been into business. I've got mine. So we And living together, we used to throw ideas around with each other all the time. So just always really worked well, but we'd never worked together. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he called me one day last year with this idea of uh, he was like he he was telling me about this book that he just read, mm-hmm. um, which was about this guy called Ernest Shackleton, who was mm-hmm. the first person to uh, navigate to I think it was the north north or south pole, possibly the south pole, mm-hmm. um, but navigate to one of the poles. And he took and I'm talking like he he was in a big wooden ship, um, so. Going down with his crew there, they get iced in. Um, so it was a leadership book all about how he had to keep one, keep his crew alive, two, achieve his mission, and three, stop any um, mutinies or, mm-hmm. or anything like that, being able to cut out or stop any um, cancerous thoughts and, and, talk, and speech early on and get people on his side. So it was all about that. And he called me, he was talking to me about it. And then he said, wouldn't it be so much better if we had the ability to have read the same book and talk to people about it and, and go over the things that we've learned in those books? Mm-hmm. All clubs exist, but typically they are um, they're, they're like, as a stereotypical way of putting them, they're mum's clubs. They're mm-hmm. Like... You don't read them to learn. You don't go to a book club because you're trying to learn. You do it because you, yep, you like reading, but generally you read a book and you just have a wine and have a chat to some people. That's fair. Mm-hmm. And most book clubs that I I either know of or have been a part of don't last very long. Because mm-hmm. it's not really, uh, it, it might have just been a, a, a holder fix for a little period of time and then you moved on because there are other things that were more important. Mm-hmm. Um, but personal development is something that people know they know they want or they're avidly looking for ways to continue to learn and grow. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we created this idea of, of my book club, which is a, um, not just around books. That's one of the core mediums, mm-hmm. but is a digital platform 
dedicated to people, uh, dedicated to providing immersive learning experiences for people focused on personal development. Mm-hmm. Um, so what we do every month is we, we choose a, a personal development theme. Mm-hmm. And so this month is shame and vulnerability. Ooh, big and topics. Very big topics. And then we, from that, then we choose a, at this stage, we're just doing one book, but we'll, we're, we're working up to multiple. So this month we chose one book that went with that. Mm-hmm. And, um, I'm going to say, we haven't announced it to the public, but I'll say it now anyway, but it was a book by Brene Brown and Tarana Burke, mm-hmm. You Are Your Best Thing, mm-hmm. which the, the concept is, um, or the, under the title, the subtitle is, um, Shame, Resilience, Vulnerability, and the Black Experience. Ooh. Okay. And so what that is, is a series of 20 stories told by black American. Mm-hmm. Artists, uh, authors, writers, um, people of all different, um, different, uh, what am I thinking? Working, like, yeah. whatever you do for work, yeah. France. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and they just told a small snippet of a story of mm-hmm. what it means to be black or what, what has happened to them, mm-hmm. how they, how vulnerability and shame resilience is a big part of how they've grown up or, or how it shaped them to be and, and what that looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a very powerful book. Mm-hmm. And it's not a book that I ever would have picked up and read. Mm-hmm. It's not, it, it, yes, like for Justin, he's like, he's a sports biographies book kind of guy. Um, I'm a science and business kind of guy. Um, and that's the other thing that we found is most people have biased reading habits. You tend to read what you what you like. Mm-hmm. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. But you also tend to read what reinforces your thinking. Yeah. Um, and so by getting us to choose the books, then it forces everyone reading them to read things that they wouldn't normally read, mm-hmm. or learn things that they wouldn't normally learn. Mm-hmm. Um, and and then we bring that together with an expert speaker. Mm-hmm. So. And so I didn't choose this book. Jeannie, who you saw, was mm-hmm. part of the interview. She's also one of the My Book Club team. Um, she chose that book and she got in contact with Dean um, mm-hmm. because she'd seen Incarceration Nation and so got in contact with him and he was more than happy. Yeah, that's so cool. Yeah, Brené Brown is like the leading expert on vulnerability, which is really quite cool. Like I've watched a lot of get, We tried to get her, but yeah. it was a little bit trickier. you know her book was good enough um (laughs) but no like it's it is very important to know about shame vulnerability and um the experience of people who are not like you and yeah well it's the the other big probably most powerful thing that we do on my book club is have conversations around the books Mm. every month we have we have the live experts or the ex- experts sessions that we have. Mm-hmm. But then we have two collab sessions. Mm-hmm. Which we've just named them collab sessions. And they're Zoom sessions. We all jump in and we go into breakout rooms pretty much straight away one-on-one. So it's like mm-hmm. this. And we get to talk. Wow. Complete strangers. Mm-hmm. Um, and then at the end of every month, we have a review session where we review the month, we review the book, we review review the speaker 
And I think the biggest thing that we've gained from that is when you've got 30, 40, 50 people who have read the same book at the same time as you, who have read it from their filters mm-hmm. and not from yours, you hear a, a completely different version of the book every single time someone talks about it. That's so cool. Yeah, that's it. And so you literally, normally you would have read your book and one of um, one of our favorite quotes is you read a book as you are, not as it is. Mm-hmm. And so then when you read that book as you are, you go, oh, yep, this is what I got from this book. But then you sit in a room with 10 people who are talking about what they got from it. You're like, I didn't get that. Mm-hmm. Or I completely disagree with that. Mm-hmm. And having the ability to have those disagreements or have those conversations opens up a lot more information in it and a much better place to learn. Exactly. Because I think like in the like just pulling it back to like the culture that we're in, there's a lot of um, talking over one another instead of like sitting down and sitting face to face and being like, yes, you have this point of view and I have this point of view, but we can actually still dialogue on it and still be friends afterwards. Like it, about it. yeah, yeah. Like it's that's it. It's actually possible. Um, but yeah, it's it is quite it is quite interesting that that's kind of culturally big picture. That's where we're going. But it's really beautiful to hear that in the micro moments, people are willing to learn and willing to hear another perspective. Like it's really beautiful to hear what your book club is doing. Yeah. How do people? How do people join it? Uh, it's pretty simple. Like we've got a website. We're mm-hmm. working on extra features on the website that non-members can interact with, like book reviews um, and, and some other, and like we'll be adding other resources. Like with Dean's one, normally that's for members only. Mm-hmm. I'll put that on the website today so that people can come and watch that entire um, that entire session. Mm-hmm. Um, then to join... We, you just choose how you like to consume books. So you can either do a hard copy or digital. So we've got, I'd say 70% of our members are hard copy. So if they choose a hard copy membership, we distribute, we send the book out to them each month at the start of the month. Um, and then they get everything else that comes with it. We've got a member portal and obviously the expert sessions as well mm. and the collab and review sessions. Um, if they if they prefer Audible, because we got a lot of people who drive for a living, um, then yeah, we'll send them to we'll send the Audible version of the book to their Audible, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, we'll go from there. That's so you cool. You just sign up on the website. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, so thank you so much um, for chatting with me. No, um, it is your turn now to ask me a question or two questions if you want. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, uh, when, when you sent me through that as a question, I was thinking about it. I was like, what do I, what, if I only get one question, what am I going to? Yeah. Or you can get two. Or, or two. What am mm-hmm. I going to pick? Mm-hmm. Um, I think, I think we have had this conversation before, mm-hmm. but how old were you when you came here to Australia? I was. <laughs> How old am I? I was 23, 24 when I came here to Australia. Yeah. Um, and why? 
So my, I grew up in, oh man, this is a long story. <laughs> long story short, up until I was 11, I grew up in Zimbabwe. And from 11 to about 23, 24, I was in New Zealand. And uh, in my first year of uni at New Zealand, my parents uh, immigrated over to Australia. And so for the summers, I was coming to Melbourne. And then for the rest of the year, I was still studying in New Zealand. And then I I missed my family and I was like, meh, because I was living in Queenstown at the time in New Zealand. Fantastic place. Stand out and recommend. Um, but I was just like, man, um, I miss my family. I need something new. I need something different because I'm, I'm kind of a little bit like you in terms of I like, I like being, I like learning new things and I like being the dumbest person in the room because that means that I can learn something and I can grow. And the moment I hit a ceiling or people come to me as like, Hey, Wilma, you're the expert. I'm like, I'm in the wrong room. Bye. Um, <laughs> so I, I don't like being an expert in something cause I, I just kind of feel like you just, you're just there now. Like there's no more room to grow. So, um, so I, I was looking for something different, something new. And then I came here and yeah, it's been three years now, which has been cool. Uh, yeah, it's only been three years yeah, since wow. I've since I've been here. Um, but I feel it's like I've known you for longer than that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's been it's been a minute. Um, because yeah, it was yeah, it was 2018 that I came here. Yeah, well, but yeah, yeah. So that's that was that. It's been like for the first year in Melbourne, it was kind of like that moment of like, oh, I moved to Melbourne. And it's like, oh, and, and, and what happened and what amazing thing happened. And, um, but now it's like, you know, I moved to Melbourne and it went from the world's most livable city to COVID being the most, the most lockdown city. We had to win something. Yeah, we had to, we yeah. had to. So, but now it's been cool. It's been beautiful. And, um, and then how have you handled your mental health? and navigated the last 12 to 18 months with everything that's been happening in Victoria? Yeah, so the first um, round of lockdowns that we had last year, I pretty much ran nearly every single day, like four, three to four times a week. And then we we got out of lockdown, and it was like, oh, really happy. And then the second lot of lockdown, mentally, like no, not mentally, physically, I just – the thought of running made me want to vomit. <laughs> like, like it made me want to vomit. I was like, I, I don't even want to think about this. <laughs> so, um, so I kind of flirted a little bit with Pilates in terms of like core strength, which was good, but I got really bored of like videos because yeah. I'm doing uni and I'm constantly in front of a video and I just, and I just couldn't. Yeah. And I've just really just been walking and eating well that's literally where it ended up being because i was because with uni it's it's very stressful um at the moment what year so, are you in? so i'm in i'm still in first year of uni at nursing but second semester is the hardest semester in terms of like mental load so there has been a lot of tears and a lot of phone calls to people being like hey i need you to tell me that finishing this is a good idea 
like it it it's good it gets to that point of like and normally they don't tell me that finishing this is a good idea they just let me speak and verbally vomit and it's in that process of being like okay like it's it's a good idea i just needed to vent and that's all right um and i decreased my hours at work as well so that's been helpful but that's that's a lot of it it's been talking to friends um and yeah like both in terms of like christian friends and non-christian friends and it's been good it's been good yeah cool mm, yeah but thank you so much not a problem thanks for having me on that's all right